Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. I'm going to begin today in John chapter 8. John 8. I want to read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture. I'm going to skip over parts of it. And I'll give the reference so that you can follow along. I'll give only brief commentary in those transitions. I love that we put the verses on the screen, but there is something. I mean, maybe it's just old age, but there is something about being able to work your way through the Scripture and the words coming off the page to me. So I would encourage you to follow along in your own, in your own Bibles or dare I say, devices, or maybe just vices. I'm not sure. I'm going to begin in John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever, And I want you to listen very closely to the words of Jesus, not my explanations. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. Talked about last week, there are two words that got Jesus in major trouble, and that was the words, I am, because he uses the phrase that the Father used in the Old Testament, that God used in the Old Testament when he, when he told Moses how to describe himself to Pharaoh, exactly the same way. In fact, Jesus doesn't do this one time. Jesus does this a multitude of times, and specifically, seven times exactly this way. I am the light of the world. And so when the Pharisees hear this, this phrase from Jesus, they are provoked. And they begin to argue with him about giving a testimony. Of how dare he say you know, something without the testimony of, of many. And Jesus says, well, it doesn't make it not true. And uh, they begin to go back and forth just a bit down to verse 21. And so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me. And listen to this. You will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The condition there of following Jesus is belief. Again, belief. He is the bread of life. If we believe, what does it mean to believe? So they begin to question Jesus even more. Well, who are you really saying that you are and how dare you say these things? They have no idea that Jesus is talking about the Father. Verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You see that? Many believed, but Jesus said, abiding in his word, living in his word, believing his word, that's where you will become a disciple of Jesus. Verse 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham. They, even those who believed the words of Jesus were a little bit shaken when Jesus begins to, to, to take some, some kind of authority of his own, and they go back and claim Abraham's authority. We are offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus said to them, answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. All right, let's hear that again. Who? 
everyone who practices how many? Sin. A single sin. Is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. That's very important. Jesus is very clearly saying, we do not have the same father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the works of Abraham. What he just told them is they are not the children of Abraham. Because Abraham produced a spiritual seed and they are not walking, following in the faith of that. It was faith. It was righteousness. Uh, In fact, uh, Hebrews says it. You have uh, Paul says it in Romans. And then you have uh, in Genesis that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or credited to him as righteousness. You're not doing the works of Abraham. Abraham, you think, I want you to go back now, long, long time ago, when every interaction between humanity and God was with the sun. It was the sun that sat down in the shade and talked to Abraham that Abraham negotiated with. It was the sun that spoke uh, the promises to Abraham's ears. And it was the sun, the promised son that Abraham staked his claim in and believed. And because of that belief in the promises of God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. So what they, what they think that they have come a long way from Abraham, we're still walking in this belief of Abraham. And Jesus said, I am the belief of Abraham. You can't call yourself the sons of Abraham because you're not doing the works of Abraham. This is not what Abraham did, verse 41. You are doing the works your father did. But Abraham is our father, right? They said to him, you were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Can you imagine speaking to these faithful religious people? who are at this very moment at a religious experience. And Jesus calls them. They have n- I think sometimes we think that if we were walking in darkness, we'd have this real like, sense of intentionality of walking as a rebel. These people think that they are right with God. And Jesus says their father is the devil. They have no idea where they are. If you ask them, are you the people of God? Yes, Abraham's our father. Do you have faith? Yes, we have faith. Are you obedient? Yes, we are obedient. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. If he is a liar and the father of lies, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. You hear that? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. The Jews said to him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I mean, they are really, really angry. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he is a judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? I mean... Abraham's up here, right? Every other prophet's below Abraham. And Abraham never even promised eternal life. Abraham died. Verse 54. 
Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom I say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and if you've seen Abraham... Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself and went out of the temple. This uh, story actually begins about 1,500 years previously. So I want us to go back to Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 and 22. This is as the children of Israel are leaving. They're between a rock and a hard place with Egypt, and God presents for them protection and provision. Verse 21, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of night by fire by night did not depart from before the people. So this is the first reference in the Old Testament to the identity of the Lord God with the cloud of glory that led and protected Israel during her wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. It was huge and striking in size, and you could not see it and mistake it for anything else. And it symbolized Jehovah's presence with his people. And it gave off light by night and it illuminated the way for God's people. And by day, the cloud led the nation and gave direction. It was out of the cloud that God spoke and interacted with his people and gave direction. The presence of God was always overshadowing them and went with them in their wandering for the next 40 years in the wilderness. And the pillar of cloud and a fire was evidence of Yahweh's presence with his people. These are my people. They are under my presence, following my direction. This is the same cloud of glory that filled the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later came into the temple in Jerusalem when it came down and met with the people and filled the Holy of Holies. This pillar, pillar dispelled the darkness of the night and any would-be attackers or any enemy foes would always be exposed because of this presence. In time, though, the glory departed from Israel once they ate and drank in Canaan. In Jesus' day, the people commemorated the wilderness wanderings at the feast, the eight-day feast called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Festival of Booths. Uh, it was where they would remember having to camp out in the wilderness for 40 years. And every morning during this eight-day feast, the priests in procession would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would draw water out of golden pitchers. And they would return to the temple one by one and they would pour the water on the altar of sacrifice and the people accompanying them would sing and they would chant the halal, which is the, uh, like Psalm 113 through 118. For instance, Psalm 114, 7 and 8 says this, Tremble, O earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of water. It was a marvelous picture of reminding themselves that God brings water out of rocks. And a beautiful picture of spiritual water that one day the Messiah would bring into their life. And one day when these priests in procession were pouring the water on the sacrifice, it was in these moments, John chapter 7, verse 37. You're already close there, one page over. John 7, 37, 38 says, Now on the last day, the great, feast, the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, this is, this is happening as the backdrop, right? They're remembering the water from the desolate places. And they're remembering that God provides water water that refreshes them in a dry and thirsty land. And Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. A powerful moment where Jesus is, they're commemorating this and Jesus steps forward and says, I am 
the picture that you're painting right now, I am. This week-long festival included, among many other things, daily lighting rituals involved these tall lamps in the temple courts. And every evening, the priests would get up and they would trim the, the lamps and they would light those lamps and these glowing lamps would light up all of the courtyard. Or at least they said that. Because of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus makes the claim coinciding with this very lighting ritual on this very day. While the lamps are lit, and they say all of, the, all of Jerusalem is lit with the lamps that commemorates the fire of God by night, illuminating the way for all of Jerusalem, Israel. And as this is going on, Jesus steps forward and says, I am the light of the world. He who walks in me will not walk in darkness at all. But not only am I the light for all of Jerusalem, I am the light of the world. Who do you think you are? John chapter 1 verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The lighting of these lamps were symbolic. Jesus was commemorating the light he was there at the commemoration of it to point to himself. Just like he was going to do in Isaiah when he says, when he stands up after the wilderness, temptation in the wilderness, and he says, it's me of whom this was written, the anointed one of Israel, that will set the captives free. Jesus always stepped into scripture to reveal that he was the fulfillment of every commemoration. The light lasted. If you go back, it does, there's really no clear definition of this or declaration of this of when the manna stopped. But the manna is not talked about anymore after they eat in Canaan. The water after Miriam is dead and after Moses has died, the water, they never talk about the water coming out of the rocks anymore. Once they get into the promised land, the pictures stop. Once they were home. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 9 too, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine upon them. Jesus lived in a dark day, but the religious people didn't know it. They were going about their feasts. They were going about their worship. They were going about their sacrifices completely unaware that they were missing the person. It seems that one of the agendas in the Gospel of John, and it's fairly easy to miss if you're not looking for it, but that John wants to present Jesus as the fulfillment of lots of Old Testament hopes and expectations and practices and institutions and, and even people. So just as Jesus is Jacob's ladder in John chapter 1, verse 51, bridging heaven and earth, Jesus is the new temple that will be destroyed and raised up on the third day, in John chapter 2, verses 19 and verse 21. Jesus must be lifted up like the Nehushtan pole that Moses raised with the serpent wrapped around the bronze pole, the snake in the wilderness, that those who look to it will live. Jesus provides water that is superior to the water found in Jacob's well in John 4, 13 and 14. And Jesus speaks with divine authority even on the day of Sabbath in John chapter 5 Jesus miraculously, miraculously feeds 5,000 people proving that his bread is better than manna John chapter 6 Jesus claimed to be the bread from heaven that would satisfy the eater forever unlike the manna which was temporary John chapter 6, verse 35. John said, just as Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these pictures, he is also the light, the cloud of God's holy presence among his people. Like the shepherd to the sheep, he is the cloud to his people. I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, 
but shall have the light of life. This is Jesus saying, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I promise you, you will never have to walk in darkness if you walk under my protection. How do we know if we're walking under your protection? You believe. How do we know if we believe? Well, how do you know if the light's turned on? I mean, no, I don't mean this to insult anybody's vision. Might, they may be the exclusion to this. Uh, exclusion, no, exception to this. But when you walk into the room, you don't have to say, lights on, lights off, so that everybody will know. It validates itself, does it not? Simply because it transforms the place that it's in. How do we know if we believe? Because you're walking in the light. You can see the light. It authenticates itself. It transforms the space that it takes up. It exposes the space that it takes up. The catch is you have to follow. You have to be under it. Oh, there's lots of lots. But Jesus is the light. And if you're not under his light, no matter, no matter what you may think, if you're not under his light, you're walking in darkness. And you will die in your sins because there is no other light. In fact, Jesus uses the term ego I me. This is found multiple times. It's even the Greek translation of what God said in the Old Testament to Moses. Ego a me. It means to the exclusion of all others. It doesn't just mean I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying is there is no other light. I am the only way. What that column of fire was for Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus says, I'm going to be that for the whole world. Anybody can follow under my cloud, my overshadowing. You're, going to get, you're not going to get any arguments from any of Israel that the Lord God was with his chosen people in the wilderness. But now Jesus is saying, you're giving, you're giving credit there, but that was me. And you're calling me a liar. You believe what I did, but you do not believe me. Jesus exposes darkness. Jesus exposes predators. Jesus provides sight, direction, wisdom, and purpose. But only if he is followed. If you want Jesus to be a check mark by a decision you made, that is not following the light. And you're in darkness regardless of what formula you follow. Jesus must be followed. Always. There is no promise otherwise, except you will die in your sins. John actually introduced Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt. And that word dwelt uh, is also translated tabernacled, interestingly enough. huh? And he tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Back in verse 1, John said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you want life, you must follow the light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And we're reminded then in First John, John chapter 1, verse 5, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So it is in Jesus' nature to be pure and to be holy, to purify and to clarify and to expose. It's not what Jesus does. It is who he is. It is his nature. He doesn't say that I have the light of the world. He is the light of the world. It's his attributes. And if we're going to say that we're going to be with Jesus, 
then it's to benefit from Jesus in this way. You cannot be in the light and stay dark, hidden, dirty, aimless, and blind. Why would we say we're in the light when we walk around in darkness and we flirt with darkness and we talk about darkness and we laugh about darkness and we tolerate darkness all the while claiming, yeah, we know God. We've heard all of his stories. I believe in God. Israel believed in God when they were in captivity. Every time that they were in captivity, when they ceased to walk under the cloud. Jesus isn't saying this because he's angry. Oh, it may sound like it in English, but you think about what Jesus is giving them here. He's tipping them off that they're not where they think they are. He's not condemning them when he says, if you don't believe, you'll die in your sin. Jesus doesn't do this for judgment's sake. He does this for love's sake, for restoration and redemption. But if you don't believe, if you don't follow, there is a judgment coming. And there can only be one judgment. And that judgment wasn't prepared for us. For those of you who say, how could a good God send people to hell? He doesn't. You do that by your own choices. An evil God wouldn't tip you off. A good God would beg us to walk under him. Because it's the only way. A good God would say, I have prepared a place for the devil and all of his demons. Don't go there. Now, if we go there, we choose to go there. God chooses for us not to, but he will not override our will. I think sometimes when it comes to judgment, we often think that, well, you know, I kind of like my chances. I think I can win him over when I get there. I'll be able to defend myself before Jesus one day. And I think most of us, probably our best effort in defending ourselves, and listen, I, this is just super cheap, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's not really defending ourselves, it's comparing ourselves to other people. I like my chances. Compared to what? Well, every other Christian I know, all those hypocrites. <laughs> I get it, boy, we're all hypocrites. People say, I don't want to go to your church, it's full of hypocrites. I say, no, we're not full, we got room for some more. <laughs> yeah. You put your money at the bank, right? Banks are full of hypocrites, no offense. <laughs> doctors, I know, I know doctors that are hypocrites, but they're going to do my surgery, not, not Christians. I mean, maybe a Christian doctor. Lawyer, oh, never mind. This. Sorry to all you lawyers. Listen, when we stand before judgment, Jesus makes it very, very clear to us. When we stand before judgment, you will not be able to defend anything. In fact, you won't open your mouth. The judgment's already been made. Have you followed the light or not? Period. That's it. That's it. How do you know? I'm walking in the light. I'm I'm living in the the spirit. I'm walking in the spirit. How do you know? Because the world around me is transformed. That's how I know. The way I live is transformed. The things I desire is transformed. The things I think about are transformed. The way I relate to other people is transformed. I, I'm, I'm trying to, when, when the, in the daytime, when, when Jesus moves, I'm trying to make sure that I'm following his direction. In the nighttime, when the spirit, when Jesus moves, I'm trying to make sure that I follow his direction. I'm listening to him when he speaks. I'm rushing to the mountain when he calls me to. I'm making sure that I'm clean and I'm holy when he tells me to. I'm doing the things that Jesus told me to do. I'm not living like the, my old father, the devil. I look more and more like my new father, Jesus Christ. This I am is emphatic in verse 12. I already talked about that a little bit. This style, this way that it's written. The word who had been with God from the beginning is now living on earth. Think of 
Jesus, verse 28, Jesus says, uses the I am formula again. Ego a me. Jesus, when you lift up the son of man, this is really funny to me. Jesus, this is in the middle of Jesus's ministry, right? When you lift up the son of man, he's talking about like when Moses lifted the Nehushtan pole, the, the bronze serpent in the wilderness. He's also talking about the crucifixion. There he is right in the middle talking about this picture and this picture. Then you'll know that I am he, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things that the Father taught me. Also in verse 24, I and I alone, I exclusively am what I tell you, namely that I am from above and I'm not of this world. Verse 24, verse 28, verse 58 lead to this great climax, this present tense, I am. Before Abraham was... There is no Jesus origin story. He is eternal. You look at the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 8, and there are 11 verses there. And in fact, the previous verse of chapter, the last verse of chapter 7, the earliest manuscripts do not have them here. That does not mean that this story is not true, by the way. It means that this story was taken from another place and placed here. Not that it's chronological, but it fits the context, right? It doesn't have to be chronological, but it's added here as a further backdrop. Don't let that bother your inspiration of Scripture. That does not make it less inspired. But when this is the woman caught in adultery, right? These hypocrite Pharisees wait for the moment that this woman is caught in the middle of adultery. Still bare-bodied, they rush her down the, aisle, down the uh, street and they throw her at Jesus' feet and they say, what do you say? Moses says, kill her. You know the story. Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. By the way, there was only one person there that day that was without sin, and he didn't throw one. But go and sin no more, he said to her. So just in the midst of this, Jesus saying, I am the water, right? And Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, right? We're comparing the light of the Pharisees and the light of Jesus, the Pharisee's light exposes sin, forces her embarrassment, her shame, her nakedness, her judgment, her condemnation. Jesus' light does that and more. Jesus' light exposes her hope, her purpose, her restoration, and points to a future because that's what the light does. When compared to the light of the religious, Jesus does better. There's also a very familiar story in John, the very next story, in fact, in John is found in chapter 9, beginning at the very first part. It actually goes on for quite some time. I'm just going to give you the, the brief Blaine notes on it. Jesus has just exposed the blindness of the Pharisees and, and their darkness, and Jesus heals a blind man that's been blind from birth, and everybody knows it. And so Jesus, with this miracle, clearly demonstrates that he is the light of the world and brings people out of darkness into light, spiritually, even physically. Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, John chapter 8, verse 12, memorize it, the light of the world who bestows the light of life. And those who reject him stay in their sin. Jesus said, "While I, this is in verse 5 of chapter 9. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The blind man testifies, where, this is in verse 25, whereas I don't know, they, they're starting to uh, get under. Are you really the one that was been blind? Yes, I'm the one that was been blind. And your parent, my parents even tell you, I'm the one that was blind, I was born blind. Some people say, no, he just looks a lot like him. This couldn't possibly be true. They find the Pharisees bring him in, and they're questioning him and going all this, and then they send him out, and then he comes back in again, and he finally says, listen, here, here's what I know. Yesterday I couldn't see. Today I can see. <laughs> 
And all the way down to verse 28, when Jesus has this, uh, Jesus goes and finds him again to have this interaction with him. And he is, he's, just, he's just living joyfully now that he is in the light. And Jesus has this interaction with him. And Jesus actually tells him about the Messiah, the one who has the light of life. And this man looks at Jesus and says, who is he that I may follow him? Jesus said, I am. And it says from that moment, the man believed, right? He believed and he worshiped Jesus, verse 38. How do you know that you're in Christ? How do you know that your sins are forgiven? How do you know that you believe? Well, you're in the light. Transformed and transforming. Your direction and your purpose is heaven and holiness. That's how you know. I mean, if you're washing in and out, you know, I mean, if you're like claiming that Jesus is like the prize at the end of life, that's not. I'm telling you, if, you, if you're following Jesus and he's just some decision that you made, some insurance that you have claimed, you will die in your sins. He must be followed or you walk in darkness. The cloud led the people in the wilderness until they crossed over the Jordan River into the promised land. So in the person of Jesus, we have this full and complete revelation of God to man that leads us into the promised land. John opens his gospel with the deity of Jesus and the light of his essential character and his attributes. Listen to this, the verse, verse, beginning of verse 4. I'm going to read this quick. The apostle tells us that the Logos, the Word of God, is the light. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In Numbers chapter 9, verse 17 through 23, it tells us that the Lord guided the people of Israel in the wilderness by the cloud and the pillar of fire. And when the cloud moved, the people moved. And when it stayed still, they camped or abided. And so Jesus is the one who gives the, the believer, the follower, guidance and when we're in fellowship with him and we're in his presence, we sense through his spirit that now lives in us. When he moves, we move and we have our being. You know, kind of compared to how we live today, the light does not follow us, right? Right? I think so often in our Christian life, we like inviting God to come along with us. You think about what it, I mean, if the comparison is true to form, then what would it look like for Israel to say, hey, God, we're going to go to the promised land. Come and follow us. Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like 40 years of misery. And every one of them died in their sins in the wilderness. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. You know, following Jesus is possible only as we believe. And are you, so are you following him? I mean, are you, like, are you like camped and following him? He is tabernacling among us. And here's the beauty of all this. I'm going to cut through a whole lot of this. He dwells not in tents, not just on earth, in us right? You have the, the cloud of God descended and went into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And then in Solomon's temple, the Shekinah glory of God filled the Holy of Holies. And then when Jesus's crucifixion took place, you remember the veil that the Holy of Holies rent in two. And now we have access. And when we say yes to Jesus Christ and follow him, where does he place that cloud? Right inside of us. 
So guess what? Everywhere that the Spirit directs me, I am free to follow. But I have to make sure that I'm following. Think of the Pharisees. They felt good about themselves because they were satisfied comparing themselves to others. Thank you, God, that I'm not like this man. I just wonder how often in our Christianity we give ourselves a real good pat on the back because, thank you, God, I'm not like these. Or compared to them, compared to their heart. When the truth of the matter is, we ought to be comparing ourselves to who God has declared himself to be in Jesus Christ. Compare yourself there and find how much pride you have in your holiness. In Isaiah chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, it says, Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke that the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Now, wait a minute. So I just want you to hear this for a second. This is, uh, I guess additional benefits of God's protection from us as we wander the wilderness today is that he is a protection. You know, the, this, this uh, well, think back when, it, when, it, when it, the cloud first came, uh, you have the Israelites experience a great deal of relief. Egypt experiences a great deal of panic. So when, you, when you're on the right side of the cloud... Anyway, I'll leave that there. But, but Isaiah says that this cloud serves as a shade. And this blistering, uh, so there are some days in this desert, temperatures will get to 150 degrees, and there are some nights it gets below freezing. And in the daytime, this cloud protected the heat from his people. And at nighttime, protected the wind from his people and the rain, and the storm. Now picture a world where the cloud protects from the storm. To follow Jesus is to believe and to trust him and to know that he is our shade. He is our protector. And we don't have to make our own decisions. We don't have to, you know, I don't... We don't have to help God out like Abraham did. We just need to abide and we need to learn to listen. I think of the very first thing. John tells us that nothing was made that wasn't made by him. And Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God said, Let there be light. And then on day four, he created the sun the moon and the stars. There is a, a light that supersedes the one that we live by today. And I think of that holy day when we're in eternity, there will be no sun, for he himself is the light, and there are no shadows there. Finally. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, I'm almost finished. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. I'm going to go back to John chapter 12. John, This is John's, this is like his thing, right? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he looked at the people and he said, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute, Jesus is the light of the world. What we're finding out is when Jesus places himself in you, you become a reflection of his light. The light just doesn't benefit you, but you become a model for everybody else to what it looks like to follow the light. 
The light's not just for you. The light is for the pagan nations that watch you as you wander until you get to the promised land. You can't receive his light and not become light in the world. There's no such thing as a false Christ or a part-time Christ salvation. If we are to be united with Christ to have eternal life, then we have to be united to who he is, not who we claim him to be or what we want him to be. If we're going to be united with him in eternity, we have to be united with him on earth. And God protected and provided for his people through the cloud. And once they settled in, God filled the tabernacle. Once the temple was complete, God's glory cloud filled the temple of the Holy of Holies. Once the Holy of Holies was opened at the crucifixion, God's glory begins to fill the person who believes, trusts, and walks under his protection, provision, and direction. He is in us and with us and through us. Psalm 119, 105 Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. John says, he is the word of God. He is the light of the world. He is a lamp to my feet. My daily, where am I standing? He is my daily abiding, but he's also a light to my path. And as I am faithful here, I know what direction to walk in. When I start seeing the shadows move, I know which direction to move because I'm looking right here at my daily. Oftentimes we say, I would die for God. If somebody walked in here with a machine gun and said, would you, you know, will you die for your faith? It doesn't really matter. That's a single decision that anybody who's got any sense would say yes to. The question is not, would you die for your faith? The question is, would you live for your faith? That's 84,000 decisions a day. Every second of choosing that Jesus is the lamp unto my feet. And he's the one who decides what I say, where I go, and for whose glory I live. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And it's a lot. But you are a lot. And Lord, I am concerned about the nature of of Christianity, at least as we express it in our culture. This cheap grace, this easy believism, this name it and claim it, you know, kind of God becomes more of a genie than a sovereign. Lord, I pray that as we think about you being the light of the world, that we would we would begin to process what it looks like to walk under you and not pull you with a leash what does it look like to believe do I really believe listen folks this is what I want you to ask yourself this morning do I really believe am I really trusting am I truly walking under his cloud at all times or am I just playing around with this thing I mean I'm just naming it I'm just claiming something And Jesus, listen to him. Don't listen to me. What did Jesus say? You will die in your sins. And it's a good God that tells us that. A good God that's preparing us for that. To walk with Jesus comes with surrender. I was a slave in Egypt. I was a slave to sin. Don't compare yourself to my sin. I don't know how many sins you have. I have more than one. But one is all it takes to be a slave. And if we die in our slavery to sin because we're not walking under the cloud of God's glory, we will spend all eternity separated from his glory. So today I just want us to make Certain, and there, and I know there are. There's bound to be people in here today, right now, praying, Lord, do I really believe in you? Maybe, maybe Jesus is just a steroid shot you get on Sunday mornings. But what does it look like for you to truly surrender your life to the light of the world, and to become the light of the world in the in the realm that you live in, where where God sends you as you are going? Are you the light of the world? Or are you just another voice, another Pharisee? 
I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Lord, I do pray for your conviction this morning upon all of our hearts. Maybe you're a Christian here today and, and you know you know that you believe and you know he's the light, but you're not necessarily obeying him in your daily life. You're not, you're not really following him. You're just wandering without purpose, aimless, just going through the motions. Today, why don't you say yes to following his authority? Say yes to the ministry of Jesus Christ and let him truly set you free. Will you come? We're going to sing that one more time and I want to pray first and I want want that song to kind of be our benediction as we leave together, okay? Lord, we love you and we thank you for your, we thank you for your warning. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the proof that we did see you lifted up and we are convinced that you are the light of the world. We, we see you and we see the veil of the curtain. We see the earthquake that moves like it did in the Old Testament. We see it. We see rocks breaking apart. We see it. Surely this must be the Son of God. So I just pray that, that we would believe it. see it. Let's pray we would follow it. Refresh us, Lord, with your presence. May we be able to dance with joy as we're in the the wilderness, enjoying fellowship with one another. May we find refreshing from the water you provide and from the bread of life that you provide. May we find protection from the sun and may we find protection from the storms of life. May we walk one foot in front of another with certainty that we walk in the direction that you would have us walk. And may we take the reflection of your light into the world that you have us going in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.